Welcome to Systems Insights, a podcast produced for the University of Southern Queensland's Master of Business Administration. I'm Dr. Daniel Maddock, a digital pedagogy and media specialist and part of the MBA design team. In this podcast series, we talk to leaders from a variety of industries about how organisational systems are designed to maximise the impact of businesses for customers, owners and workers. These interviews were recorded via the internet, so please keep this in mind as you listen to this episode. Nia Yari Giam, Jaganba, Na Gayabu, Yarrawa Peoples, Nia Toowoomba. This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Giyabul and Yarrawa peoples in a place called Toowoomba. Our guest for this episode is Samantha Melching. Sam is currently the National Service Quality and Development Manager for Act for Kids, which is a fabulous Australian charity that supports children and their families who have experienced abuse and neglect. Sam has extensive experience in the non-profit sector, which possibly says something about Sam's strong sense of commitment to developing community and social engagement initiatives. Samantha Melching, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. Ah, thank you. Nice to be here. Can you tell everyone who's listening a little bit about what you do for Act for Kids uh, and a bit of your career story? Yeah, yeah, no worries. Um, So for those of you that don't know, Act for Kids um, is a not-for-profit organisation. We've been around for 30 years um, and our core business is healing um, children who have experienced abuse um, and neglect. Um, So I've been with the organisation for over... 13 years and my background was as a family support practitioner working directly with families Um, and then I moved into more of the the project management um, space. So my career has gone from writing policies and procedures to setting up new services, um, infrastructure processes, those types of things. And so now I sit within a, I've got two hats. I have a team that I manage that runs programs and training in schools across Australia and And then I also manage all of our service quality projects and and policies, procedures and systems um, across the organisation. Well, fantastic. It would be perfect for today's discussion, which is uh, about systems. We like to think in the MBA of systems, not just systems in terms of IT, but systems as configurations of things. So you're talking about policies, we're talking about people, we're talking about suppliers, clients. How do you see systems? Uh, In a similar way. So I think that the decisions that we make around delegations um, and who's responsible for what and what we need to do and what the the end game is has to come first. And I see that the more technical supports and the I guess the technology as more your enablers to allow those networks and those systems and those processes and those decisions that you've already made to work together and to to come to light and to hopefully, not often, but hopefully make things easier for people. As a project manager, how do you manage a project or structure a project so that the systems that you have to work with align best with the outcome that you're looking for? I think that it's important to actually know the different components quite intimately and know what requires more conversation, more relationship, more things like, I guess, your meetings and those that require just a, I guess, a line item in a project plan and you can kind of put that off and send it and know that whoever's on the other end will be able to do that. So I think there's a lot of planning and knowledge and relationship that needs to be built in the front end before you can really set up systems that will work for uh, different cohorts of people. Particularly in my arena, 
we're not project managers. We're, we're not people that are building infrastructure with production lines. So managing a project is not core business for us and we are a lot more flexible and fluid. So I think projects, um, when I speak about it in the not-for-profit space, it might look very different to, I guess, a project manager who's uh, working in construction or, you know, one of those more technical spaces. That's really interesting to us here, though, because, of course, there are lots of different opportunities which are going to present themselves to graduates of the MBA program in leadership and project management roles. What makes up a project that you would be managing at Act for Kids? So as a not-for-profit, as you can imagine, we often um, seek funding. So I guess uh, the beginning of a a service set up for us would be the very beginning of writing a grant application. Um, And so it would be about pulling a whole bunch of people together and deciding what it is that we could actually do with um, a set amount of money and um, and looking at creating a, you know, a, a pseudo budget and a service model um, and looking at what infrastructure we would need, what resources we would need. So almost in the very beginning of that grant process, it's almost like planning and just assuming that you've got the money already. And then once we actually are successful, because that's, you know, that's the aim, it's really about looking at how do we then um, roll out that service. So um, as a national organisation, it means that we need to look at recruitment um, and staffing. We need policies, we need procedures, we need cars, we need infrastructure. And so um, there's a lot of people that need to come to the party in terms of planning all of those, but then also executing, say, a service setup. So that's, I guess, an example. The other projects that we have at the moment, we've got a future fit technology project, which is looking at all of our environment in terms of the way that we collect data, the way that we store data, all of our, you know, different HR, finance systems, um, our client database systems. Um, And so that's um, a project that I'm a part of. It's not one that I'm um, leading. We've got our procurement um, manager who's, um, who's leading that, but it takes a lot of different pieces to get that right as well. Do you think that these systems that you're discussing with me support you as a leader or do they sometimes get in the way? I think that if you actually understand what you need in a system, it is helpful. I guess if you think about, um, so we're a service industry with delegations and rules for business as usual, um, as most um, service industries would have. And so I guess there's a set of systems that manage how things are run in business as usual. When you have a project that sits across that, that is not business as usual, where different people are leading it and different people have delegations or authority and there isn't the right system or the right processes to manage that tension, that's where you can go really wrong. So there's been lots of different examples of learnings for us where the systems that we set up with business as usual and not the same systems that you would need for, say, delivering a new project, setting up a new service, setting up new infrastructure. Different people have different authority in that space. And if you don't set up the right systems in the um, the beginning, then really there's a lot of challenges around um, what people are doing. That's really interesting. So you find that you can't just apply the same system to everything you do. You need to cater it to what? Absolutely. And your audience too, because I can imagine that a lot of the people who would be taking this course would be very systems orientated potentially. And so the type of systems and networks and relationships that I'm talking about 
would probably not really resonate with everybody because there would probably be a lot more of a technical knowledge around, you know, work breakdown structures and, you know, using project management software and, you know, all of those automated type responses that those types of things would probably get ignored by half of my organisation if I was to, if I was just to send them out and say, hey, we're doing this now. Um, so that's, you know, it is different for different cohorts of people as well. Let's talk about how you work together with your teams in these different situations. Are there set hierarchies or do you try to challenge how those work? There is definitely a, a set of hierarchies. So we have our um, executive directors would sit as what we would call the sponsors in any sort of big strategic projects. And then we would have corporate managers that sit across that manage different functions of a project. What is challenging for us is when we move into a region that has a regional director who in the chain of events um, is actually sits a lot higher than a lot of our managers um, and yet we need to run um, a particular project in their hood, I guess. And that's tricky because we're trying to make decisions about their buildings and their services and for their staff and they're used to making those decisions solely by themselves. So without having some processes and some conversations in the very beginning, those conversations get pretty confusing or tense or, you know, you can actually just do a lot of duplication or, you know, backpedaling. Do you try and then delegate a lot to everybody in that hierarchy or is it about, you know, we need to sort of solve this problem and everybody picks up the baton and runs with it? I think there's definitely a lot of delegation of um, depending on skills and um, people's time and ability. When we were a slightly smaller organisation, so we've got 400 staff now um, and our corporate centre has about 10% of that. So we are bigger than what we used to be. 10 years ago, the project manager was the person that was doing all of the project management work as well as leading the project. But now there's a lot more delegation. So I think the bigger that you are as an organisation, the more ability there is to delegate. One of the things that we're often discussing in the course is complex problems and how they can sometimes have simple solutions, especially if the system in which that problem occurs is structured in the right way. Do you find that solutions to problems within your projects come from anywhere or are they sort of led from the top? Oh, from anywhere, I would say. Yeah, some of the most um, practical solutions are um, from people that are on the ground that know how something works or know how they would use it and things that, you know, I might think are really annoying and a really big deal, they would go, oh, no, we'll just press that button. That's okay. And I think you do need to have a culture where people can come with their ideas um, and everyone's opinions and thoughts are respected. And so there is, while there is a lot of delegation, there is also, I guess, when things are a lot more complex, there is no way that as managing a project that you actually know all of the content. Like that's not your job. You're not supposed to know all of the ins and outs. So you really rely on people to, to tell you when things are a good idea or a bad idea and being okay to have bad ideas as well because, you know, then people can let you know that they're a bad idea and why. So you have these formal structures in businesses, the formal hierarchies, but then what you're talking about really is that you have an informal culture that lets it be okay for people to have a say. Oh, absolutely. And the, the formal cultures are really are only there almost as, an, as a, a backup. Like I would say that there's a lot more that happens before it ever reaches a need to use the formal um, delegations or processes. So I think that if everything is running 
relatively smoothly, you almost forget that they are there. And then when things don't go so well, then you go, okay, well, actually, what are we, what technically, what are we supposed to be doing in this situation? Oh, the process says this, and actually this person now needs to make that decision because we're not agreeing on this. Now at Act for Kids, obviously being a charity and having a mission to help people, you're in a kind of joint system with your clients and the business itself and also suppliers and you know different things that you need. How does that relationship between you and your clients work? Is it simply we're going to give you what you need or is there some two-way conversation there in terms of how your business is run? I think different parts of the business would run a little bit differently. So a lot of the funding that we have is from, say, a government agency. So 80% of our funding is from a government agency that says you will deliver this service and this product in this particular way and this is how it will be done and you can just basically tell us how to do that um, and set that up. Once we are running those services, it's probably less about project management and more about really good practice and really good operations. So it starts to become a different, I guess, um, that's my other hat, I guess, where I'm looking at practice quality and we're, we're making sure that we have children's voice and that children are participating in the decisions that we're asking them about what's helpful for them in terms of the service that we're running. Um, and that becomes a really more organic process. So um, the projects that we run really sit at that very high level and then it turns over to business as usual and that at that business usual space is generally where we have a lot of client voice. Um, one of the projects that we've run recently, which wasn't overly complex, uh, but was a project around um, looking at our purpose. So, um, for almost 30 years, we were the um, we were part of the Abused Child Trust, and we had moved. And our purpose was around preventing and treating child abuse and neglect. And we've gone through different stages of changing that. Um, and in the last year, we went through an engagement process with all of our clients and stakeholders to ask them about what they actually thought we did, because we thought that didn't really align. Um, anymore. And so there was a um, quite a decent engagement piece around interviewing um, children and families that we work with and saying, what is it that we mean to you? What impact do we have? What do you want us to be doing in the next 10 years? So that was probably uh, one project that really did hear the voices of children um, and families in that way. And so we do try and involve uh, those voices where we can. It's not always possible in some of that early onset work um, when we're gov- when we're government funded, I guess. How has that changed what you've done since? Uh, well, our new purpose is, so it went from preventing and treating um, child abuse and neglect. Um, yeah, so our new purpose is to help keep kids safe, heal from trauma and lead happy lives. And so it's a more positive frame. Um, it relates more to the, the children and families that we work with. Historically, we had lots of families go onto our website, see what we did and say, actually, that doesn't resonate with us. And so we would actually lose a lot of referrals. So from a client perspective, if you think about a system that's supposed to help and you think about a website as supposed, like the idea of a website is to attract, whether you want stakeholders, clients, you know, attracting business, our website and our purpose historically did the opposite um, for the clients that we work with. Um, and so that that process of engaging the people that were there for meant that it actually resonated with them. And the reason we chose the word happy in that was because that's how children described our impact. 
they want their family was happier they were happier and it, you know that and we really wanted to bring that in even though it's a little bit tricky to to um to measure did you find that you were doing a lot of those things already but it was just about how that was represented oh absolutely absolutely and there's um attention in our organization from what the donors want to see and hear and what they will give money to and what the clients want to see and then what we actually do is there some learning there you know i'm interested in your experience of organizational learning you know how how does that flow on to create who you are today i i think that um there was a perception that that people won't potentially fund us if it's not the dark and gloomy um you know website and if we talk about positivity then people will think that there's not a need to to give money to this space and i think that we're able to do some really really nice things that focus on positivity and yet still bring about change um and i think like as a as an organization that is um really committed to change so change for children change with families change as an organization continuous improvement I think that having a more positive and aspirational um, way of working means that we're all a lot more congruent. So I don't feel like I'm hiding where I work when I go to an when I go to a barbecue. I'm saying the same things that the board members are saying and that my you know um, marketing team are saying. And that's there's a level of transparency and congruence that's happening that hasn't been there before because there was always this tension of this is what the website says this is what you know our organization is called this is what we do and this is what i tell people that i do um and that's been really tricky for um uh, people that have worked in the organization because we value transparency and so it's it's always been a, a tension for us so i think it's been a big relief as an organization to align and come into that authentic space yeah absolutely where we all kind of go yeah that is what we do and that doesn't take away from one side or the other um and they are two sides of the um the same coin what about funding and government and those connections how do you build them how do you keep them and how do you communicate in that space i think you have to offer a really good service so you have to understand what it is that they're looking for um uh, when they're funding a service they want outcomes so there's a reason that they're giving you money they want to and it's and more often than that not it's not just um tick boxes on paper it's real outcomes they want to see real change for families as well so we really authentically partner with um with our government agencies and um have recently just started a new um project called individual support packages where we have started to work with um the government department in Queensland um so child safety um departments and talking to them about what is it what's their pain points and what's the challenges that they experience um and how can we help that because we actually all have the same goal of wanting to keep kids safe heal trauma and have children lead happy lives so how do we do this better um and we develop services and systems that actually work for them and then prove that we do it so i think it's it's about knowing what they want what they need what they need to report on what's important to them what their different levels um so there's obviously different systems within government too so you've got um the people on the ground that want things their workload to just decrease <laughs> they just want they just, you know they're just over you know they're overwhelmed they just want really good things for the families but they also want their workload to increase and then as you go higher up it becomes a little bit more about KPIs and potentially you know reducing budgets and then you know the the area that we work in is 
um, reducing re-entry into the child protection system because children in care, um, there's not very good outcomes for those children in care sometimes, but also it costs the government a lot of money. Um, and so if we can figure out a way to cost the government less money and support these children to, to do better and to thrive and to have really amazing lives, then that's everyone's goal. And so it's about how do we work together to achieve that? Um, and I think it's really good communication and relationships and um, and really understanding where the other um, party is coming from without any blame or judgment. That's interesting. It's, a, you know, sort of like a traffic mentality. You know, some people need to turn left, some people need to turn right, but we're all on the road together. So how do we support that traffic to flow? Sam, you, you've shared a lot of really great stuff today in your role at Act for Kids. Do you have one piece of key advice that you could give to our listeners about networks, about systems? I think it would be to really understand the the organisation or your purpose um, and keep checking that whatever you're creating meets that, um, that purpose or that organisation structure. I think we can get lost in systems and we can keep we can keep building processes and policies and there's definitely a risk in over-engineering things uh, and by the time you finish you look back and go well that didn't even like that wasn't the point of what we were trying to do um, and so I think it's really about making sure that you keep checking that you're on track and that you're not building things just for the sake of building things. Oh, that's a great tip, not building things just for the sake of building things. That is certainly something a lot of us in organisations <laughs> have experienced, processes for processes' sake. Oh, absolutely. Sam Melching from Act for Kids, thank you very much for your time on the show today. No worries. Thank you. Thanks, Daniel. Information about our guests can always be found in the podcast show notes in your podcast app or on the course site. This has been a University of Southern Queensland podcast.